You're listening to The Brand Compass, conversations to navigate your way to building a brand fit for purpose and poised for success. Here's your host, Shelley Rosland. Hello there, my friend, and welcome back to the place where we dip into all the ways in which your brand meets the humans you serve. I'm Shelley, your host on this conversational journey, and I have someone extra special joining our discussion today. There is so much flooding our consciousness today about having to do so many things as a solo or a micro business to stay visible, to be available and to produce more. I find this fascinating in a world where time and attention have become the currency and us as business owners are constantly dishing out our time and attention to this malarkey that surrounds staying visible. Today, I want to crack that nut, and I'm just the person to come and talk to me about it. A good while ago, when I was planning the launch of my personal brand site and my group program, I looked out into the interwebs to look for some inspiration for ideas on how to be different and how to bring this to life. This is how I came across my guest today. She has a beautiful way of eloquently sharing who she is on her website, and she also had a podcast. So I jumped onto it and immediately got to know her from a distance. Earlier this year, I was really lucky. I was delighted to find out that she was actually going to an event that I was going to as well. So of course, I had to find her and connect. When we talked, I thought, oh gosh, she needs to come on the show so that you can experience her gentle, insightful genius. So let me introduce her to you now and we can jump straight in. Meike Sang is a podcast guesting strategist and certified trauma conscious leadership coach. She specializes in sustainable visibility practices, which in essence means that when you are looking to amplify your work or your voice, you do this from a place of safety first and strategy second. Her ethos is that visibility without protection can be harmful to both us and those we are impacting. She lives in London with her partner and they both practice Japanese jiu-jitsu and she is a cat mom of two. Welcome, Meikei. Hey, Shelley. Thank you so, so much for having me on the podcast and just like hearing the backstory. I, I remember the moment when you walked up to me um, with, with your partner and you as soon as you mentioned my digital Easter egg hunt on my website, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. All right, let's, let's have a chat. <laughs> Because not everybody actually realizes that's there. And the people who do, they have a whimsy about them. And they're just interested in going down the rabbit hole with a little bit of fun and still doing business at the same time. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Oh, no, I'm so pleased. Your new side, because you evolve quite frequently, which I enjoy. Um, so I enjoy <laughs> watching your website. <laughs> it's still quite whimsical. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's really, really good. I wonder if we could maybe start our talk today around this sustainable visibility concept, because to be honest, I've got a healthcare client and the only thing I think about when I think about sustainability at the moment is plastic and it's very yep. boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when we were talking about it and you were explaining, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This word actually used to mean something else before the single use plastic world came mm. into being. Do you want to talk us through a little bit of the concept and and how you work on that with your clients? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, I need to backtrack a little bit. And you mentioned 
a little bit about kind of like the origins of the concept of sustainable visibility when you mentioned that on my website I mentioned that visibility without protection can be like genuinely quite harmful for you and actually that does stem from a actual story that I um, or rather an experience that I had a couple of years ago when I wanted to amplify my own visibility I hired a mentor who was helping me with various different strategies and so I followed her advice and while I can appreciate where it came from, I think what was not acknowledged in the process of her sharing these strategies with me was how her own proximities to privilege and access to resources wildly differed from mine. So when she did it, she was able to get results because of, you know, some other things that I just did not have access to. And so when I did it, I kid you not, I was placed in a position where I was in a very misaligned space to be visible because it was very much a, oh, just put yourself out there wherever you can sort of thing. And like, just like see which fish bites the hook, <laughs> essentially. And um, unfortunately, I was in the position where my own personal past traumas were reactivated because of the people I was in front of. And so that really made me learn the hard way unfortunately that not all visibility is equal nor is it helpful for your business and just like as human beings if we are coming from a place of survival we will never do our best work because we're we're not in the best position to regulate our emotions or access our uh, our logical reasoning either and i learned that in my certification for trauma conscious leadership as well that like just literally how the brain physiology actually shifts when you're actually under threat so yeah unfortunately it came from a not so wonderful experience and i just wanted to make a stand for that and actually start having conversations about centering safety first so you can bring out your best self when you are being seen by your ideal clients Oh, I love that. I think that's, um, I don't think everything that, you know, in our journeys when we're creating whatever we create within our businesses and kind of forging and navigating our ways. I mean, I know for myself, not all of that comes from great places. It's almost, you know, sometimes you almost learn through going through that tough thing that actually that's not right, but actually how I feel about it is this. And hopefully you can then resonate with other people who feel the same. So I think that's, that's really lovely. And I think, so do you want to break down the sustainable element? Because I know, you know, having looked at some of the stuff that you're doing from your offers, I mean, I loved when we were getting to know each other and you were sharing, actually, I don't do these things because my ideal kind of working day looks like this. Or you're, you're all about almost pacing yourself to your own rhythm, which I really liked, if that's a good way to describe what you were, what you do. Do you want to explain a little bit how that sustainable element comes in? Because that might vary person to person, right? Yes, absolutely. And I do have a framework that also might be helpful in just a little bit. But if, if I were just to take a quick summary of what it's like uh, when you're thinking about a sustainable aspect to just showing up in general. And I do want to say that visibility isn't always about lead generation. And most people think that it is. And it is a part of it, but also visibility also counts when you're showing up for your clients, when you're actually delivering on your offers as well. And so something I'm always conscious of is my personal capacity to deliver my, my best work, you know, because, you know, my community and my clients do deserve the best. And so I'm always thinking, do I, yeah, I think, I guess one of my filter questions is, can I be generous with my time and my energy right now to really help the people who are in my orbit to get to, 
you know, from one place to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And so, yeah, I think it would probably be, be easier if I actually shared the framework. Would that be all right? Yeah, let, let's do that. I think it works nicely. Awesome. So my three-part sustainable visibility framework it comprises of, you know, of course, three things. So the first thing I look at is sense of safety. So this is actually all about taking a very deep look into the intersections of your identity and how that naturally influences the way that you show up. So for example, I know that I'm an introvert. So that does mean that doing visibility strategies that require me to connect with a lot of people in a very short amount of time, that isn't always a sustainable thing. Sometimes it's necessary, you know, depending on which season in my business I'm in. However, because I'm a natural introvert and actually at the, um, at the event that you and I attended, it was my first time attending an event since the pandemic. <laughs> and I learned firsthand how very real my introversion is because whilst it was amazing, um, you know, the, the talks and the people that I got to meet. I, I won't lie, like I had to like, excuse myself to, you know, the bathroom or, or rather the toilet, sorry, um, the toilets, just to sit in the stall and just breathe for a moment because it was actually very overstimulating for my senses. And I found that that really took away the focus and the attention that I could, that I could have when I'm connecting with new people. And you go to conferences most of the time, not just to learn, but to network. And my networking, I realized that my ability to network was very quickly deteriorating because my introversion was coming into play. And so that's one example, like, you know, big visibility opportunity right there to network with a lot of people who are in the same space as you. But then I realized my identity as an introvert was impacting how I could connect. So it's looking into things like that. So I'm an, I'm an introvert. I'm also someone who's on the LGBTQAP plus spectrum. Um, so I have a same sex partner, for example, and there are simply some spaces that wouldn't welcome someone like me. I'm also someone of Asian descent and yet I'm a British citizen. So like there are so many parts of my social identities that really mix together and that directly informs the way that I show up and which stories I tell and to which detail. So that's the first part of the framework and I just, yeah, I just want to like take a moment to say, for those of you who are listening, when you're thinking about your sense of safety, think to yourself, what, yeah, what elements of your identity make up who you are? It's a really important exercise that I personally have never seen anyone else talk about when in the context of visibility for business. And if this is your first time, I invite you to consider that. I think part of your personal brand exercise, if you're going to do something really holistically, this is something we do in our group program for this as well, is to recognize all those dimensions of yourself. Because a lot of the time, like you say, people are actually switch almost like weirdly switch off the personal side to them in order to be this other like weirdo <laughs> that is then expressing their business to the outside world. And that becomes a distort, almost a distortion of you, which aggravates those values. And probably, like you say, would even trigger, you know, latent traumas or would just trigger that um, attrition you get when you're doing things that are just not aligned with your values as well. So I think that's, that's a brilliant thing to bring up. And hopefully people will do that when they, you know, doing a proper personal branding exercise as well. Yes, I hope so too. 
So part two is your signature body of work. So visibility is like the sound of this. (laughs) (laughs) So visibility in itself isn't helpful. You want to be visible in order to, you know, to in order to attract new clients or to, um, you know, build even deeper trust with your already existing client base to rehire you for something else or to move to the next stage of your your office suite. Right. And so your signature body of work is really knowing where you are sending people. So when you are visible, where's the pathway to your business? So this is something that I personally teach um, in the context of podcast guesting quite a lot, because when folks tell me that they've been on podcast and, um, you know, they, they have a huge listener base, but why didn't they get results for them? And then when I break it down and I ask them, okay, where did, pe- where did you send people? What was the intention? Where was the connection of your topics? Where, what was the call to action? And if I find that there isn't a seamless transition between the topics to the call to action to the offer that they eventually would lead them to, then there's that pretty much tells me why <laughs> it didn't work. And it's pretty much the same for any other visibility strategy. If you were given the opportunity of a lifetime, you know, in terms of visibility tomorrow, like say if you're going to be featured in Forbes, for example, like I'm not saying that's a huge opportunity for everybody, but mm. like it's different for everybody. Like maybe it's a TEDx Depends talk on or, who or you a are. TED talk. Exactly. Yeah. So say if you've got an mm. opportunity for a lifetime, if you asked yourself the question, honestly, is my business ready to receive the potential volume that can come my way? So if you can't answer with a resounding, yes, my business is ready, then there's clearly something that is not quite ready yet, or maybe it's not as seamless in, in terms of the transition from when you're being seen to what it could lead to in regards to your offers. Mm, brilliant. Love it. So I agree with all of the above. Let's move to number three. <laughs> <laughs> well, number three is, it is what it is, is actually like choosing which visibility strategies that align with your sense of safety, i.e. like, you know, they, nice. it's kind of like, it honors your identities. It honors the capacity that you have. Because like, for example, I, I recently, um, this is why it's quite top of mind. I was recently featured on a neurodiverse entrepreneur summit by my dear friend, Claire Panacea. And um, so I was suddenly informed of so many different um, types of, you know, neurodiverse people and um, how visibility mm-hmm. impacted them all differently because of there was just certain access to resources that they just didn't have, even if that just meant their energy levels. You know, they're just like low energy folks. And so one thing that could be super simple for somebody else can be really challenging for a neurodiverse person to to do the same thing simply because they just don't have that the same access to resources that they do. And so mm. your strategy mm. is very much about kind of finding that sweet spot between your unique strengths in terms of like how do you process information best? Like, are you a verbal processor when you communicate, or are you more of a written processor? Because that will give an indication as to which mediums might suit you best. If you are more of a written processor, then maybe having you know, more written content would be helpful for you. Like having a Substack, <laughs> or, um, you know, having a blog and guest blogging nice. and things like that. Mm. But if you are more of a video person, then doing more video content. If you're an audio person, doing more podcasting content, things like that. So that's one thing that you need to think about. And you also need to find the sweet spot between that and how your ideal client likes to consume content. Oh, there's the challenge, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and sometimes you wouldn't, you won't be able to get a perfect fit. But being able to kind of be, I, I think of visibility more like a buffet. You know, like say if you went to okay, 
a, a buffet mm-hmm. for your favorite cuisine. I bet you that if you went to if you went to this buffet at a time when you were very hungry versus a time that you were very full, you would probably pick very different things to put on your plate. Right. Nice. That's a good analogy. <laughs> yes. Mm. And so there are going to be seasons in your life because life just life sometimes. Like life is just life be lifing. <laughs> sometimes. It does. And, and so you can't always adhere to the strategy that you once thought would be helpful if suddenly something happens in your life or in your business and suddenly you just don't have the capacity to do it. And so having that fl- that, that flexibility that still honors, again, it still honors your identities. It still, you know, creates a seamless transition between being seen and to your office. And it still honors your your processing abilities, your strengths, and how your ideal clients like to consume content. It's sustainable visibility isn't about having a rigid strategy. It's very much ha- knowing yourself so much that you can dip into different things, i.e. the visibility buffet, so that no matter what's happening in your life and business, you can still show up in another way that will kind of like meet you where you're at. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, most people listening will be able to resonate on some level with that because you go through periods where you might have high energy and you think, oh, yeah, I can do all the things that are there. And then all of a sudden, bam, that's gone. And you're like, then you stop beating yourself up because <laughs> yep. you, you're not keeping up the frequency. You're not keeping up these rules that you set for yourself. I think it's quite nice to hear you kind of throw a pebble in the pond of of the, oh, I don't know, the magpie syndrome that's, you know, that's out there of, of what you need to do and how much you need to do and actually scale that back. I've already reduced quite a bit in terms of the social media platforms, for example, that I'm even on or which one that I'll actually pay most attention to. What I liked about your, I think you you probably won't know this because you've got things kind of as part of your system now and you're, you're highly conscious of it, but I like how you choose when you spend your energy and on what activities as well, because I've noticed that even in your your emails, like your out of office email. I love that. <laughs> you, you've got to like, you'll have a certain, you have like a certain day, don't you? That explain a little bit of your like kind of at the moment, because like you said, it's fluid, right? So you dip in and dip out. So your ideal week, you don't answer emails every day, for example, you, you've decided how to spend your time and energy, right? Do you want to share just like maybe one or two things you do around that? Yeah, sure. And I, I will tell you now, I have been complimented a lot of times for my autoresponder. <laughs> so, I love the, your autoresponder. <laughs> and, you know, even the head of a, you know, the founder of a coaching school, when when she saw my autoresponder, she said, oh, I might have to borrow some of that beautiful language for our autoresponder. Because most autoresponders, and I totally respect and understand, by the way, that um, most autoresponders will be like, I will get back to you in two to three working days, or my my working hours are nine to five or something like that, right? And it's because I'm a night owl. And it's because, again, I don't always have the energy. I, I've, sometimes I physically cannot move or think. And it's, it's really challenging to run a business like that if I were to adhere to those usual standards. And so that's why mm-hmm. something that's really yes. helped me to have a more compa- capacity-informed business and sustainable visibility as a result of that is just setting expectations. I'm always sharing and communicating and letting people know when they can expect something from me. And so instead of trying to promise like, hey, I'll get back to you in two to three days, I will let them know like, hey, I will answer whenever I have the capacity to. Please follow up. 
I really appreciate follow-ups because some people worry that following up is going to annoy someone. I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't. It really helps actually. <laughs> and um, it's because of that. Brilliant. Um, I've been able to really sit in with this and even my own podcast, for example. So I'm the host of the Quiet Rebels mm-hmm. podcast and I used to do weekly shows and then I shifted it to fortnightly, which is every two weeks. And then now I just say like, look, I have an intuitive release schedule. And I feel like I do need to say this with a caveat, by the way. The reason why I can do this and do do this is because, number one, I don't really care about my podcast ranking. And number two, I know that my podcast is more of a nurturer versus a lead generator. I, you know, the the proof is in my metrics. And so that is why I'm like, okay, I know I nurture in many other places as well. And I know my lead generation comes from different strategies, which is why it's okay for me to have made that decision. So don't just think like, oh, if Megan does this, then I can do this. Like, no, no, no. Always take into account where you're at in your own business and what, like, say if you had a podcast, what that does for you. Because if that's your number one lead generator, then maybe maybe doing an intuitive release schedule when you release episodes as and when probably may not be the best idea. But just to give you an example of things that I've done and how that Im- impacts my business, because a lot of my community, they are neurodiverse people. They are introverts. They are highly sensitive. They are empaths. And so me communicating these boundaries and trying to account for my capacity, they actually see it as a form of inspiration. Because like yourself, when you said earlier, it's like, oh, I yes. love your autoist wonder. It's like, oh, maybe I could do that. You know? So Yes, and I like that you're a model yeah. f- you're a model for excellence for people. That's what you are really, is like because we need more of those models of excellence that go outside of the traditional slog of you have to operate within these boundaries and these rules. So I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's what um, the quiet rebels are all about. <laughs> yes, and I love quiet. I just love the whole concept of quiet rebels. That's why I was just like, yes, I was having a girl crush and then I had to meet you without trying to feel like a stalker <laughs> when I met you. <laughs> Phew, okay. Um, what I did want to kind of segue a little bit because I think I feel like you you definitely are a subject matter expert in in your field. I think you've carved a, a, a really beautiful, I'm going to say like a cove because you've used oh, that word you. on your website, right? <laughs> a beautiful cove for all of your, your audience to kind of hang out in. I feel like you are that subject matter expert. Did you get to listen to my um, manifesto episode? If you didn't, it's fine because I know we've no, got something. No, we I did. I did. You did. Oh, and what did you think? What? Yeah, I just, well, I think it was always something that came across as quite abstract or nebulous. So I love that you broke it down into, you know, different layers at, at the same time. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe I do fit into this a little bit. <laughs> but, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah but, but I've never, ever thought of myself as such, I guess. And until I, I listened to your manifesto, so I thought, maybe. Just a little bit. It's, maybe it's just my imposter complex coming out a little bit. So I'm not sure whether to claim it or uh, not, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do what I can. <laughs> yeah, but I think because, you know, you've been doing what you've been doing for such a long period of time and you're also gathering over that time that deep knowledge, you know, and some a lot of your stuff is very intuitive stuff, but you're actually documenting it you're bringing it out in models you're teaching it so you are not only becoming a model of excellence for people to kind of like you say get inspired from but you also have a deep I love going through your website honestly it's just 
If anybody's listening, please go to the show notes and go and have a look at her website. It's just that so much of you comes out of that, but it's a real lesson in actually just trying to be the human behind the business. Like you say, communicating who you are, how you work. And I think if more of us did that, I think we'd get a lot closer to that magic that we're trying to do in other people's lives. And I think you've found the key to the magic, Mac. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do. I do want to give a shout out to my brand and website designer. So her name is Gigi Deverishvili from One Six Creative, and she was actually. Um, so my last job, she was actually one of my like coworkers, team members, and we both. She ventured off first into doing her now now business, um, and and I uh, and I left like soon after her, and then it's been so amazing that after seven years, that we're still like biz besties, and I. You know, I commend her for everything when it when it comes to my brand. Like she's probably the, the person I'll always be hiring um, for for um, doing my website because she managed to bring out the professionalism, but also the playfulness. And that's one of my values: professional playfulness. Like you can get the job done, but still have fun while doing it. <laughs> Oh, I just love it. And we must put her details in the show notes as well, yes. because I definitely have to. <laughs> the other thing we were, we were talking about initially when we were talking about the subject matter expert, I'm still, I still hate the term. I'm still looking for a better word or phrase, but nothing's come. So I thought by breaking it down, we I mean, hopefully one day we'll find a nice phrase that we can all feel comfortable with. But we were also talking about at what point, at what level, do we think, like between the two of us, we were talking about this and you, at what point do we think subject matter experts become thought leaders? Because I don't mm. feel like every subject matter expert is a thought leader. And you shared a really brilliant metaphor. So I want you to share it with the audience <laughs> because oh, I think everybody listening will really get it. So um, the Black Belt Ethos, that was actually something it was actually the name of one of my first frameworks I ever made because I actually used to be a copywriter and a launch strategist. And um, this framework was all about, you know, the, the three particular pillars on how you can, yeah, just like express your true voice and, you know, attract your ideal clients um, in the form of launches and a copy and things. But what's never kind of like left my mind, and when you said earlier that my partner and I, we are um, Japanese uh, jiu-jitsu like martial artists, and we're not black belts yet, but we did recently pass our most recent exam, which is great. <laughs> but um, we just got brown to go, and then it's black. So we're nearly there, about probably a year and a half away. I digress. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so the black belt ethos. Um, the reason why I, um, I picked that was because of... I couldn't quite pinpoint exactly what it was that connected all of my clients. And then my, and one of my mentors said, you niche by ethos. You don't seem to niche by industry or niche by your offers. Like most people do, you niche by ethos. Nice. And something that I found in common with all of my clients is that they had the black belt ethos, which is this infinite pursuit of excellence with the humility of a beginner's mindset. Love. Love. And then you, you kind of balance that with what a white belt might be versus yes. a black belt. Yes. Do you remember so, what you said to me? Um, <laughs> I, I, I believe I do. It's kind of like with the white yeah. belt, you're always in the mindset of learning. And with a black belt, you're eternally on this quest of greatness and knowledge at the same time. So it's kind of like 
it is a, it's kind of like a beautiful um, combination of the two because I find, I think what I learned um, literally in the martial arts system, like m different martial arts kind of rank differently, but I didn't know until a couple of years ago that when you reach black belt, there are actually further rankings in the black belt itself. And a lot of people sometimes oh, wow. stop. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like there's a you know first dan, second dan, third dan, moving forward. Um, and that is what kind of like showed me the picture of this infinite pursuit of excellence. That once you re reach black belt, there's no stopping. There's still a quest to learn more. And also there again, there's this humility of always being open to learning and being open to learning like a beginner would, instead of kind of like putting ourselves on a pedestal. We're like, no, 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 Let, let's get in the trenches and let's do the thing. And so that is what I love about the Black Belt ethos is this infinite pursuit of excellence. And so to loop it all back to your question about, um, you know, subject matter experts and thought leaders, I think thought leaders do have the Black Belt ethos that they're always, you know, looking for what else there is. They're exploring uncharted territories and they are willing to, you know, come back and share with us their discoveries to kind of like, expand our possibilities and see what else could be done and i think subject matter experts they probably might just stay in their lane you know like they know their stuff clearly nice where they are like mm. masters of of their craft but that big picture thinking is when i think someone shifts more into the thought leadership position where they kind of see what else could be done instead of only looking at what they've done that makes sense <laughs> oh lovely lovely <laughs> it wrapped it all up there I think it's, no I think it just works and I think metaphors and thinking of things like that in a different way I'm hoping that when people are listening and go oh yeah I get it um I don't want to stay in my lane so yes I am a white belt but actually I'd quite like to be that black belt and that takes that extra effort that extra kind of change in mindset doesn't it um, mm. which I think is brilliant. Oof. Oh, I could keep talking, <laughs> okay. I could keep talking. <laughs> um, I've, re I've really, really enjoyed this. And I think, honestly, I just love the way you look at things, how you approach things. I love the way you break things down. And like I say, you are words. Oh my God, because I am a word geek. I'm just in love with your vocabulary. It's just, <laughs> you just so eloquently and beautifully articulate feelings, thoughts, desires, wants. I think everybody can just learn from just listening to you speak. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm going to try and allow myself to receive that, that, that kindness right there. I'm like, okay, I literally like right now as I'm, as I'm speaking and I'm physically opening my arms because um it's actually a technique i learned when i was public speak in public speaker training when all of us we literally had to stand on a stage um and allow ourselves to be applauded at after our mini speech and like so many of us were so awkward myself included and our mentor literally had to jump on the stage to us and um, this was in a training um setting by the way but he had to like jump on stage and literally physically open our arms i was like it's okay it's okay you're safe to receive <laughs> it's all good so every time, because um, I'm probably not used to receiving praise or allowing myself to receive it, so I'm like physically opening my arms right now. This is something that each and every one of you might want to practice at some point if you if you find it a bit awkward to receive a compliment. <laughs> so just a side note there. Oh. <laughs> Beautiful advice. Beautiful advice. If anybody <laughs> listening today wanted to learn more about you, um, AK, what kind of you know, the work that you do, how can they find you? What's the best place to point them to? 
you mentioned my website, so I definitely recommend checking out my website. And if you are someone who likes a little bit of fun, then I do invite you to, you know, do my Easter egg hunt. It starts on the homepage. You'll see where to start if you look closely enough. So that's number one. And number two, I do invite mm. you to check out my insights. Uh, sorry, my Inside Insights emails. And this is actually when I do pull back the curtain of my online business so you can witness what it's like to truly unsubscribe from the hustle culture, navigate the nuances of leadership, and actually consciously embody sustainable visibility practices. I'm very open with my email list, and it's probably one of the, the most consistent places I am. And I just I do want to say with consistency... I don't mean it from a place of frequency, like how often I show up. But what I mean with consistency is whenever I do show up, that is what's consistent. It's like you can expect the intentionality. You can expect, you know, the well thought out stuff. I never churn out content for the sake of it, personally. And yeah, these emails are the place to find me. So join me along for the journey if you're so interested. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll share the links with uh, Shelly. So <laughs> don't need to like vocalize them out loud here. But yeah. Yep. And my email, my, my email list is the, is the sometimes the only place where you'll learn about any pop-up collaboration events I'm doing, any seasonal secret services and offers, real-time revelations while something's happening in the business. And you also claim a coveted spot of my monthly cup of catch-ups. And that is when I set aside one hour every single month. I split it into three 20-minute calls and I send out an invitation at complete random. There's no discernible pattern aside from the fact this happens only once a month. And it's where I get to connect with my community members like you. And um, I've done this for over three and a half years now. It's one of my favorite things to do every single month. And um, I love connecting one-on-one. -on -one. So if that's something you're interested in, get on my email list so you can actually receive that invitation. Oh, love that. I'm not on the emails. I need to get in there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, it's been a real breath of fresh air um, okay, and giving us all lots to think about or about recalibrating how we all think about our visibility thank you and that's it for this episode folks thank you so much for joining us did that give you a much needed wake-up call on how your reality is playing out right now in terms of your activity inside your business are you ready to reevaluate whether you are safeguarding yourself and others first before dashing headlong into doing more? Hopefully, you will have gathered from Meike that it is possible to be quieter and still more of the time and less frenetic and focused on pace. By being quieter, you will still have impact. It may even be more meaningful for you and your audiences. Who do you know that could do with hearing this conversation and Mayke's insights? Share this episode. You know you want to. Until next time, stay strong, believe you have value and make good brand decisions. Thank you for listening to The Brand Compass. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your entrepreneurial friends and help them make good brand decisions. Until next time, let's keep the conversation going at ShellyRosland.com.